this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, this week we're breaking the rules. Breaking the rules. Breaking the what rules. Are breaking what are we doing? What are we doing? Breaking the rules. Uh, are, the, are the cops coming? Yeah, exactly. Um, no, so here's the deal. When we set this podcast up many years ago, when we wrote our charter of what this podcast was going to be all about, we said that we were, we were going to view everything between January 1st, 1990 and December 31st, 1999. However, we have occasionally <laughs> broken our charter. You know, we've stretched the boundaries so that we could justify, you know, for example, when we reviewed the Deep Six compilation with Mark Yarm when for, you know, regarding his book, um, yeah. you know, Everyone Loves Our Town. And then when we talked to uh, Stephen Brodsky of Cave-In, you know, they pretty much... The album that we wanted to talk about was a 2000 album, which was Jupiter and then the one that followed it, Antenna. We weren't as familiar with the stuff that came out in the 90s before they kind of broke through. Um, So we've kind of... And then we've reviewed new albums, obviously, by Lisa Memory and and, uh, Failure and Afghan Wigs and whatnot. So... We All got, right. So we got a request, Jay. You know, we're people pleasers. We want people to be happy. Yeah. I mean, if you come with the cash, we'll talk. Right, exactly. And we had a... <laughs> that's it. We're whores, people. I mean, hey, we, you know, Trump's president. We got to step up. Hey, now, let's keep the safe political. <laughs> oh, that's not going to happen. <laughs> um, so we had a new subscriber to our Patreon page. And he also wanted to do. A, he didn't want to wait. He wanted to. He said, "I, I need to do a record review right now." And he gave us. Well, he sent an email, Jay. And I, as I learned before the show, you don't read any of the emails that we get. However, he sent us an email, and he said, "There's two albums. They're both from the year 2000, but I think they're both, you know, really worth checking out." One of them was Czar's self-titled album, mm-hmm. and the other one was Marvelous Three's third album, Ready Sex Go. Yep. And I said, you know, pick whichever one you want. To me, the the Marvelous 3 record makes sense because the first two records were both released in the 90s. Plus, Butch Walker had been in a band already in the 90s. What were they called, Jay? South Gang. That's right. He was in South Gang. They were which... started in the 80s, though. Well, yeah, but they put out records in the 90s, right? Yeah. They were uh, they were the final wave of the pop metal thing, right? Their two albums came out in ninety one and ninety two, so yep. essentially they, they would qualify as a nineties band. So he put out four albums in the nineties between Marvelous Three and South Gang. So the fact that Luke came to us and said, "Hey, I'd like to review this record," or I'd "Like you guys to review this record," even though it's in two thousand, we said, "Sure." As we mentioned, money talks, <laughs> BS walks. You know, we got uh, we got gold plated toilets to pay for. People, what can I say? Yeah. And um, so that's what we're doing. And and Luke sent us a bunch of notes on this record. I can't read all the notes that he sent us, 
via both email and by comments on our preview on our Patreon page, since we preview all the episodes over at Patreon. Um, but he's, I want to just read some of his comments, Jay. I know that you're familiar with the band. I'm familiar with the band, too. So it's not like we're coming into this right. know, not knowing anything about the band. Yep. So he said, I have lots of thoughts on this one. They're identified you know, as a 90s band, even though this one came out in 2000. With regards to the actual album, he posted a couple of interesting articles, and I'll link to them. One is from guitar t- Guitar.com, where he says that the at the time of the release, that this was basically... They were freed from the shackles of indie rock. That indie rock had been, you know, what was predominant in the in the 90s. And that this was, I guess, you know, breaking away from that. More of a big rock, you know, popular attempt, mainstream attempt at, at a rock band mm-hmm. or, or rock album. Ten years later, he said, well... Actually, they just made this record to mess with Electra, which was screwing them over. Okay. <laughs> Not sure what that means exactly. <laughs> By making it an arena rock record? Yeah, exactly. Um, so here's what Luke says. He said, How did this album not produce a hit single, but the darkness hit really big shortly after? In the same vein, I can't help but compare the struts to this era of The Marvelous 3. Also points out that, you know... Uh, Butch Walker has a tendency to borrow melodies mm. from other songs. We'll get yeah. into that. But if you're familiar with the big single from the previous album, Hey Album, Freak of the Week, uh, shares a lot of similarities to a certain song by the Birds called So You Want to Be a Rock and Roll Star. I spend a lot on all the clothes that I got Cause all the geeks that I meet They all look cooler than me He also mentions uh, homages to others uh, in the song Sugar Buzz. Uh, there's a line about that quotes from uh, Lita Ford's Kiss Me Deadly. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll get into that sort of stuff. Uh, so the only uh, only song that doesn't really work for him on the record is I'm Losing You. And he said that he saw him on tour, that, that Butch Walker was out of his mind crazy on this tour, just really entertaining and, and work in the crowd. And uh, some people chimed in Whitney Beeler, who Whitney or Whit Wit's brain, Whitney Beeler's is Wit's Wit's brain's actual uh, name. For those of you who were co- confused by the wit, all, the multiple wits we had <laughs> commenting on, on stuff um, said that uh, cigarette or, cigarette lighter love song is probably uh, their favorite Marvelous 3 song and still gives him goosebumps, chills. And then I want to thank, uh, for other people, uh, we mentioned him at the end of the episode last week with our interview with Scarce, but I didn't get to mention him at the top of the show, which we usually do. I need to thank uh, Peter Matheson, along with Wit or Whitney, for joining us over at Patreon. I also want to thank another new subscriber, Darren Svedson. I believe that's how I pronounce it. I'm sorry if I 
I butcher that. I butcher all names as a matter of course. And uh, thanks for joining us over at Patreon along with Luke and all our others. Uh, we appreciate the support. And we're going to be uh, maybe next month, maybe at the maybe in March, announcing our first contest of the year. So stay tuned for our first giveaway for our Patreon subscribers. So, Jay, what, when did you first discover Marvelous 3 back in the day? Oh, boy. I think it was uh, Hey Album. Okay. So is that their second record? Yeah. Um, I own that. You know, in the late 90s, there were, I think we t- touched on this in the past, but there were certainly a, a concerted effort, I think, from a lot of bands, you know, to, to, to be a little bit maybe post-indie, post mm-hmm. Uh, get into or get back to just being pop rock bands um, right. in a lot of ways, right? And so they were among that that mix. Some were more successful than others. Um, I remember them getting a ton of buzz. Um, I'm gonna assume I saw them in a magazine or something uh, at the time, and I guess early web as well. And uh, I bought Hey Album. I don't. I think it might have been like a used purchase. Mm-hmm. And I think I knew the I had heard the backstory that, hey, this is the guy I was in South Gang, you know, which I vaguely remember from from years earlier. So that was intriguing as well. South Gang is the first album. And we should say Butch, Butch Walker, along with his uh, bandmates, bass guitarist Jace Fincher and drummer Doug Mitchell, a.k.a. Slug, uh, were all three together in South Gang and are originally from Atlanta. So they mm-hmm. moved out to L.A. And you can read about it. Butch Walker released a memoir uh, probably like five or six years ago. It might have been even longer. Where he talks about the, the journey out to California and then South Gang not really, you know, making it in, in the way that they kind of hoped. And they got to make two records. But by the time they did, you know, the alternative revolution had taken over and they kind of went back to Atlanta with their tail between their legs. And then marvelous three formed out of that. And, um, there's a story about them meeting with, I think a record executive who had not signed marvelous three or not signed South gang and talked about a band that he had, you know, saw out in Atlanta which was South Gang, which was the same three guys, and talked about them to Mar- the guys in Marvelous Three as if he didn't know that <laughs> it was the same guys, mm. and uh, them kind of playing along, like, oh, he doesn't realize he's talking to the guys from South Gang. Anyway, so I think it, it, in the same way that Kelly, or uh, excuse me, that Ken Andrews made his bones as a producer on um, Failure Records, especially the last two Failure Records. I think it's these couple of Marvelous 3 records, especially Ready, Sex, Go, which was produced with Jerry Finn, that Butch Walker sort of became a producer mm. that was became in demand. And if you look at his credits, you know, his first three credits as a producer or co-producer are these three albums. Then it's... Bands like Bowling for Soup, SR71, Simple Plan, Midtown, mm-hmm. American Hi-Fi. So he had found that like power pop rock sound yep. that would kind of drive into the 2000s. He ended up working with a lot bigger artists, including Katy Perry and Weezer 
and Avril Lavigne and Taylor Swift, Fallout Boy, Panic at the Disco. Yeah, he's yep. got some. He's got some. And of course, this whole time also between 2002 and 2006, he's put out what eight solo records. 2016, 2002, and 2016. So in 14 years, he's put out eight solo records. Mm-hmm. So a lot of music he's produced over the last two decades, not just on his own, but also with producing other artists. Let's get into the record, Jay, though. Let's talk about Ready, Sex, Go. It's an album cover I felt uncomfortable mm. posting online. Yeah, it's awkward. I'm sure at the at the time it felt like a, a great idea. In hindsight, it's... Hard to uh, put up on your, on your uh, screen yeah. when you're trying to listen to it on YouTube. Yes, or around the kids. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, okay, so let's do the thing where we say, Jay, what's the one thing? Or what's yeah. one thing that you like about this record? This is a tough. This is a tough record for me. Um, really? I mean, his his, his song. Yeah, I'm a little, I'm conflicted here. His songwriting is undeniable. Yep. I mean, the guy can write not just hooky choruses, but he can write really memorable verses. You yep. know, the, the melodies and the verses are strong or stronger than even the choruses at times. You know he he has, his toolkit. You know it, re, it does rely on at times overtly <laughs> referencing other songs, melodies, lyrics, a lot of cultural references. It, and he does it in a way where you know, like I said, sometimes it's very obvious, and others it's just a little snip. You know, you're like, "Whoa, that sounded familiar," and then it kind of passes, and yep. it all builds up into. Um, a very accessible, familiar, you know, pop rock formula. Um, mm-hmm. So part of me really respects that craft and it is unique in the way that he does it, I guess, um, at least until this point. I don't think anybody really had put it together in this way. Um, so from that aspect, I, I, you know, I enjoy that that part of it to kind of study him as a songwriter and as a producer. Yeah, I agree with you in terms of he gets away with writing some stuff that is a little bit close, sometimes too close to source material. Yeah. But he does it in such an infectious, you know, pop rock songwriting configuration that you almost kind of go, hey, you know what? It's the hook's good. And it's mm-hmm. it's a short song. They don't overstay their welcome. You know, most of these songs are right in the sweet spot of like three and a half to four minutes. There's a couple that go on a little bit longer. But besides that, you know, you can't deny that he knows how to structure a song, layer vocal and guitar hooks. And, I, I you know, there is something undeniable about someone who starts out playing in an 80s glam rock band or, or whatever you want to describe it as mm-hmm. who you have to have an inherent sense of melody because you're not getting away with that style without hooks you know for as whatever you want to whatever, however you want to degrade 80s hair bands mm-hmm. metal, they knew how to write hooks mm-hmm. those songs the good bands got on the radio because they had massive hooks and he you know maybe that was the thing with south gang is he hadn't quite figured out the hook writing Mm -hmm. and it translates better in this 
pop rock format. I don't know what to call it exactly because it's not, you know, it's not power pop in the way that I think of power pop like Jellyfish and yeah, you know, those sorts of bands where it's like layered, multi, you know, multiple vocals and that. It's and it's not quite the Blink One Eighty Two like pop punk. Yeah, but it's, it's like a hybrid of the yeah, two. Yeah, it's somewhere right? in there. And I think the the influence is that '80s twist. Because if you listen to a song like Radio Tokyo, the the way that that song is structured and the melodies, I mean, you can hear it, it, you know bits and pieces of like Enough's Enough, mm-hmm. and those sorts of very poppy '80s bands that were on the precipice of hair and glam, and then with you know enough cheap trick influence. Yep. to have some power pop element to them. There weren't a lot of bands that pulled that off, no. uh, you know, that did what Enough's Enough did. Uh, but that's an, in, like, this is an interesting end result of the 80s in that you can hear where he's going with a lot of these songs <laughs> and go back to where he started out and go, okay, I can kind of hear why there'd be like a tinge of 80s metal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe throwing in the the Lita Ford reference, and there's some other references to '80s stuff. Is him kind of maybe coming to grips with that? You know, that he was like, you, you know, the first couple albums. I, I know Hey album. Okay, I don't know the first album as well, but I don't remember Hey album having any sort of allusions to '80s metal. Do you? I can't recall off the top of my head. Oh, I didn't revisit that. Um, and, and this one has a lot of blatant ones. Uh, yeah, I and mean, I classic think, rock too. Yeah, well, I think you know the what you read before we started. The quotes on it were, you know, the this album they definitely let go of any any aspect of alternative or indie or right. any of that kind of thing. Which they probably I'd have to go back and revisit the album, but I'm going to assume they held on to some of that for that record in the in the first record, which I can't remember the name of, but I'm sure it's not like a completely different band. But uh, right, this certainly steps into the 2000s firmly, which gets into the why I struggle with this record, and it's a, and in some ways it's a credit to him. So it's it's a difficult for me. It's it's um it's difficult because I don't want to knock him, but at the same point, he is partially or mainly responsible for a lot of music for the next couple years that is derivative of this, that I just really don't like. Um, right. So, and it's really reflected strong in the first half of this record. So starting with track two, mm-hmm. you know, it's got that dirt or dirt, you know, that kind of thing. Like the, the, the dumbest drum beat you could ever, you know, write the big, you know, arena drum sound hand claps, you know, simple guitar riff. It reminds me of like, uh, there's a Bon Jovi song from around that time that sounded exactly like that. Uh, Weezer's Beverly Hills sounds like that. You know, these are all 
which are all know. descendants of rock on <laughs> right exactly go and take a ride to a shopping cramp park you can walk through the door shove the knife in her heart when you tell her that you can't stand the song anymore the one you two adopted on the prom dance floor you can be a tom cruise and make a big scene i'll be like my cover and cut it clean either way there's gonna be blood on the floor when you tell her that you don't dig girls anymore anymore And it kind of continues like it goes. I feel like tracks two through five are really just bogged in that trying to desperately write a hit, I guess, in that formula. The verse melodies to me and all those songs sound almost identical. Like You could pick one up and drop it in the next song. And it just reminds me of a lot of bad music. It, it gets into that like when country went pop. You know, mm-hmm. that's kind of the format a lot of that music starts to take. It's just lowest, simplest translation of rock song, you know, and then just completely formulaic. And like I started this out, I mean, I feel in some ways, you know, he, it's good for him that he can't, you know, was responsible completely or partially for kind of pushing pop rock into that direction and obviously as a producer he benefited from that and continued to perpetuate it with a lot of the bands he worked with but i can't help you know 16 years later listen to it and just like groan um because it just reminds me of so much music that i just do not like now the second half of the record i feel is almost a completely different story like Mm -hmm. starting with radio tokyo i feel like things start to get much more interesting um whether they be, you know, songs that are a little bit more textured or layer uh, textured and and longer and um, more epic, or busier from a drum standpoint, or just higher energy and more urgent, you know, I think there's even vocally on a song like "Cold as Hell," you know, he sounds almost like a different person. He's pushing himself a lot more. The energy of that song is much higher. I think he's in melodies for the second half of the record that are not, you know, kind of boilerplate for him. I think it's unusual in that a lot of reviews we've done, I feel like we say either the middle of the record's slow or the front is good and then the back is long. Right. I feel the opposite on this one. This is one where I think it starts off with here, here's all of our attempts at like going in the laboratory, trying to write a big, big arena rock hit songs. And then the second half is them um, either just being a just a straight up rock band or exploring different sounds, which I think either of those two is is more interesting than them at this point, 16 years later, at least is more interesting to me than them trying to write a radio hit. That's interesting. I was not expecting that take out of you. I I was thinking that you were going to fully embrace this record, but I didn't realize you had had. Uh, issues with that whole sort of movement that happened in the early 2000s Ugh. with all those sort of you know bands that I mentioned all putting out albums within like a couple years of each other it makes me of, think of like Lit and SR71 well and, and the, like the guitar player from Lit stuff. plays on this record oh there you go like those you know I'm going through my notes right now of all the bands I thought of in the first half of the record you know and that's where well so does Roger Joseph Manning though 
He plays on okay. two songs. He plays piano on Radio Tokyo and Cigarette right. Lighter Love Song. That's second half of the record. Yeah. That's that's the stuff I like. Those songs I'm like just glancing at my notes. I have Thin Lizzy and Queen and Billy yep. Joel and you know. Okay, I'm on board for that. Cheap trick. So first half of the record I have all that early two thousand stuff as my points of reference. Where I struggle it's not so much whether it's the first half or the back half. I just I struggle because sometimes the in terms of intensity of his vocal, he's mm-hmm. singing as intense during the verses as he is during the chorus. So it kind of diminishes the chorus. Like he doesn't I sometimes I need him to back down a little bit and sing mm-hmm. a little with a little less force yeah. during the verses so that I can sort of relax a little bit and then build up the vocal because then he, a lot of times he gets to the chorus and yeah, it's a huge chorus, but it's huge because they tripled his or quadrupled his vocal or whatever. Yep. And it, and it, they don't always work as well for me when he does that. And I don't know if he does it just because he's being funny or what have you, but like, I really liked a lot of like cigarette letter love song. And then you get to the chorus and it's freaking all the young dudes. Hmm. And it's like, I can't help but hear that song now because it's so right. blatantly that song. Yep. And I'm just like, is he messing with us or is it that he just doesn't care and he decided that, oh, that melody works. I have this chord progression. That melody works over top of it. So I'm just going to change the words a little bit. And I just I don't understand the thought process. level you embrace the simplicity of using a melody that's familiar rather than scrapping mm. and going oh no that's maybe you take the approach like if i think i, I if i think i i'm ripping something off i'm never going to write anything because i'll just be constantly i don't know i don't know what the process is yeah i mean i'm a purist so but i could see even at this time right i mean at this point we're good 10 years or more into sampling. So I'm sure right. as a rock band, you're like, well, why don't I just sample? <laughs> like, yeah. I'll just write a chorus. That's another song and change the lyrics and then see if I have to pay somebody or not. I mean, but as a purist, I'm just like, like you just said, this, the moment I hear that, I just want to go listen to that other song. Right. Like when I hear freak of the week, I want to go listen to the birds. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't want to listen to that song. I mean, so, in this case, it's obviously an album track. Like, Freak of the Week was a single. It was a blatant single. Whereas this yeah. is track 13 on a 14-track album. Mm-hmm. Clearly, it's meant to be an album track. So I give it a little more leeway. 
Whereas Freak of the Week is just a completely obvious attempt to write a radio song based on a radio song. And mm. which he even references in one of the songs on this record. He says... Uh, yeah, I wrote it down too. What did, uh, what's the lyric? It's on Sugar Buzz, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's on Get Over. He said "Got the lyric is, got tired of the radio station that was playing that song that her boyfriend wrote. All he did was change up a couple of notes. Yeah. Which is obviously a reference to his own song. Yeah. Um, did you think that uh, Better Off Alone sounded like Billy Joel? I think it sounded like Billy Joel. Go listen to the verse. It sounds like uh, you'll hear it unless I'm crazy. Is, are you saying that sounds like moving out? Yes. <laughs> it's you like, you know, I mean, that kind of thing. It has it totally has that. Oh, feel. my God. Now that you say that, <laughs> it does sound like <laughs> out. Right? I, I never picked that up. I didn't pick that up when I was I listened to it on my own. Welcome to the station. So here's the situation. Let me tell you how it all goes down. The girl you bit about, you come to find out. She's the biggest hoe around. Can we take it to the bridge and skip the part about the fridge where she keeps a cold heart by a stale pop tart? And all the brothers that she fucked are piled in a truck. Crazy. What do we what, what do we do? I don't know. Do we have to report him? <laughs> well, did he have to pay uh royalties to Roger McGuinn? I mean, there had to have been there had to be an agreement there. I I, I don't think so cuz if you go back to the album credits, like if you go to Wikipedia, mm-hmm. um there's no songwriting credit to Roger McGuinn. Wow. Wow. I've heard way like some of the Led Zeppelin stuff is I think they ripped it off, but personally, but I think it's less close to <laughs> some of the originals than that is. Dude, the the blurred lines Marvin Gaye lawsuit. Th- yeah. This is way closer. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Than that. I mean I agree. Yeah. I, I just assumed all along that he just got a co write on that. It was just like a novelty kind of thing. Mm. Oh, no. Yeah, I don't know, man. He uh, he confounds me sometimes. I, I like him as a person. I've I've heard him interviewed. I like some songs here and there. Like I said, I I really do like half of this record. I think it's uh, really really strong. And then there's other things he he does that just head scratchers. Yeah, I, quite I, I have the same issue. I think we brought it up once we talked about his solo career. And I think you used the phrase on the nose when you were talking yeah. about it. It doesn't feel like there's there's an element missing to it that mm-hmm. I can't get very deep into his solo stuff. It just doesn't feel like it's 100% there. And I think that's a tough thing with guys who were in bands and then made their bones as producers, mm-hmm. but then still want to put out records. And you're like, well, they're fine. But there's just, it's just, it's really well produced, but average music. Because I know people get really excited when yeah. these solo records come out, but I just don't yeah. find them all that compelling. 
Well, and that's, uh, you know, going back to why I struggle with this record and him in, in general, is there's a lot of people whose musical tastes that I'm, um, find a lot of similarities and alignments. And then they will be like him, like, you know, they'll like him or the span and, you know, it's like the record scratching when I get to, I get to it. I'm like, ah, it doesn't quite work. Right. I guess the most the similar that I think we've reviewed would be um, the Wild Hearts um, di- for different reasons. But I feel the same or maybe similar reasons in some ways. I feel the same way about him. Like I find him an interesting person. I get the songwriting brilliance there. But there's something about the way it's all put together and presented that I just can't buy in completely. I'm like right. in, I'm on the fence and I'm in and out. There's things I get and like, and there's other things that just do nothing for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, he, I, he might be the kind of person, like I mentioned with ginger Wildheart, in that I might like him better. I like might like his stuff better if somebody else performed it too. <laughs> like there's something about the way that they interpret their own material that just doesn't quite work and maybe it's i'm not responding to them as a performer or the way they produce things but i can i can see the brilliance in the writing now he's a i struggle with him lyrically a little bit in terms of yeah being it's like confessional but awkward and and sometimes and a little like embarrassing like the line about uh, what is it so on cigarette love song? I'm like kind of getting into it. I was like, okay, they're gonna do a ballad. It's interesting. And then he drops the line of something about worn out underwear. It's like what? No. Yeah. No, no, no. I don't want that image. I don't, I don't know where you're going with this. <laughs> you just. I was following along with you, <laughs> and then you just threw me a left curve, and now I'm. I, I, I'm, I'm bailing here. I'm not, I'm not sure where you're going. There's just a lot of stuff like that. Either or really like getting sensitive to like pop culture references and songs and yes. locations and those yes. sorts of things. It's, I just see it as it's pandering, you know, it's like the easy, easy things, you know, people will grab onto using nostalgia and, you know, region, regionality and that sort of thing to get people to respond to a lyric and, he does a lot of that too. Yeah, there was some song that I heard on. Oh, it's a Death Cab for Cutie song off their most recent album, and he makes a reference to like cell phones, and like oh. I don't remember what it is, but it like it so sticks out as like that's gonna be an anachronism, like in whenever cell phones are no longer relevant like we have implanted chips in our wrists or something like that right. it's like it's, it's like putting fax machine in your phone or, or in your song right. or or you know something else that's like oh what don't do that i mean yeah it's a it's like a a, a dumb way to connect with people mm. that's instantly dated mm-hmm. here's the question though this album came out in 2000 it is right smack dab when, in terms of 2000 albums, this should have had at least a big single off of it. If if Freak of the Week could be a single yeah. two years earlier, why weren't Sugar Buzz or, or Get Over or something else yep. bigger singles off this record? 
I have no idea. <laughs> the record company are morons. What uh what 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 did this come out on and why can't we get this anymore? Is that part of the story on that Electra. question? Be- came out on Electra, which remember if you've anybody who's ever dealt with Electra calls them Neglectra. Okay. okay, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, that's um so the Hey album was actually re- indie released. Okay. By and then Electra re-released it. And then put out the third and final Marvelous 3 record, which apparently there was quite a bit of ill feelings about that. And actually that if you go to their Wikipedia page for Marvelous 3, they they there's a link to I their website's not there anymore, but they posted in April of 2001 that they had separated from Electra, and mm-hmm. he calls them Neglectra, and that they were completely ignored by them, basically, and they didn't get dropped. They were like, please let us leave the label. Yep. So. Well, that's, that's your answer then, right? Yeah, and that's not the only... Like I said, that's not the only person I've read, or I think we've even talked to people that have said that Electra can be pretty um, difficult to deal with in terms of if they're not interested in promoting your record, you're pretty much just ignored. So, yeah, were. So I guess yeah, that's I mean, it. The label didn't hear it, or they just didn't perform well enough, and they just kind of forgot about them. Yeah, there's no reason why musically Grant Park, Get Over, Sugar Buzz even little head any of those first half all the songs i don't like there's no reason why those shouldn't have been huge radio hits at the time it was just exactly with what was you know popular on rock radio i think it's better than some of the bands i listed i mean this is like the heyday of like blink 182 and eve six and green day is you know still huge at this point i mean they've never not been huge i mean they'd I don't think they've ever yep. had like a big downturn in their career, but like yep. this is post all the grunge stuff. The garage rock hasn't happened yet with like the Strokes and White Stripes and stuff. Yep. I mean, this was what was dominating with like the um, that like first wave of like sort of mall emo, I guess you'd call mm-hmm. it. You know what I mean? Like Yellow Card and, and Newfound yep. Glory and. Those sorts of bands. I'm sure Tom Mullen would punch me in the face for calling it that. But uh, sorry, well, Tom. I mean, this <clears throat> that lit song was played to death, and this oh, is that five thousand times better than that song. So that lit guitar riff, that that's if you want to torture someone and, and get them to confess <laughs> their secrets, you just play that riff over and over again until they they break, which will probably be after three times. Yeah, that that guitar sound is in the first track on this record. That's why I thought of this band. I was like, these guitars sound familiar. And I once I played it, I was like, son of a bitch. Sounds like lit. All right, Jay, let's give our overall ratings on this record. It was suggested by Luke. He's a big fan of this record. Jay, are you going to pick it, take a big dump on it? Worthy album, better EP, decent. I think it's a it's a worthy album. I, I'm oversensitive <laughs> to uh, a particular formula here, but um, I think this you know at least half of it is very good, and the other half I think a lot of people probably won't be as uh, you know down on as I am or biased towards as I am. So 
you know, I think this represents to probably the best of that type of music and mm -hmm. it set that in motion and he should, you know, be credited for that. And it's a, it's a good document in terms of, you know, how he pivoted from the two thousands, uh, and, and, and came into the new millennium for rock and roll. Yeah, that's a good point. It is a inter interesting pivot point between, you know, sort of the, the pop punk and, and mall punk and power pop of the nineties and then into what would be a much more radio and, and streamlined version for consumption in the two thousands. Um, I think it, as a document, it's an interesting sort of, you know, combination of what we talked about with sort of the eighties influences and seventies power pop with cheap trick and, you know, and then Butch Walker's sort of interesting take on songwriting, I guess is the way to put it. Um, I think it's a worthy record. And I think you can, li I think a lot of people who maybe wouldn't think to listen to Marvelous three could probably find something that they would like in this record. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe that's the thing that sunk it is that it's for a lot of people, but it's also not apparent that it's for a lot of people. You know, guys who were who were dismayed at the fall of hair metal and who liked maybe the resurgence in the late '90s of like Buck Cherry, mm -hmm. and then and then got maybe got into the darkness. I don't know if those guys listened to '80s metal, but mm -hmm. if they did, they probably would have liked this band. Um, but it also skews a little popish, but maybe not popish enough. I don't know. It it kind of crosses over to a bunch of different subsects of or su yeah subgenres of uh, of rock in the '90s that it doesn't do anything bad, but it's not mm -hmm. stellar either in terms of being an a, a awesome power pop record or an awesome yeah. punk pop record or what have you. So. It's interesting. Let's put it that way. It's an interesting album. I agree with you. It's worthy. It's worth checking out. Also, you should check out Hey Album because that's also a good record. I haven't checked out the first one, so maybe I'll do that since this one's not on Spotify. I actually had to go into my MP3 archive to, uh, to listen to it. We need to thank Luke for suggesting this record. I think he, he gave me a pronunciation on his last name. I lost it, so I'm just going to guess. Kacharski. Kacharski. Sorry, Luke. You know how it goes. Everything gets slaughtered here. We want to remind people that they can go to Patreon to leave feedback, make suggestions on records, vote. We'll have a vote coming up soon on our uh, review for in February. And then, of course, you can earn a review after 12 months at the 250 level, like our recent subscribers Darren, Peter, and Whitney all did. Uh, reviews coming up in 2018 jay assuming we get to see it and then of course if you like what you heard please consider leaving us some positive feedback at itunes that's it thanks again to luke for making this suggestion of course you can go to our digmeoutpodcast.com page go to request review you can request a review yourself just like luke did for jay i'm tim we're out and we'll be back next week with another episode dig me out thanks for listening to support the podcast visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber or request a review at www.digmeoutpodcast.com 
where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at Zazzle.com. It's like uh it's like Animal Farm. I don't even know. I haven't read that book, so I don't know if that's actually what happens. It's Animal Farm is about where animals get slaughtered, right, Jay? That's the point of the book. Of what book? Animal Farm. I've never read that. Okay. We're then we're in similar I think I read that in like fifth grade, maybe. I just don't remember. It's about animals hmm. on a farm. Sure. That's so what I would assume. Pigs get slaughtered. <laughs> Or no, is it pigs get eaten, hogs get slaughtered? What's that? I don't know. Never mind. I'm editing that out.